Uh, hello, welcome back again. Uh, not to show my hand, but I'm a little uh, uh, emotional after rewatching that movie. I did not expect that. Um, Fuck, man. Victory has defeated your ass. So you know that, Of course. Do you think he's coming back? I don't know. I, I don't really know how else to lead off the episode, so here here is Matt. My co-host. Oh, also, I'm Diego Crespo. And I'm Matt Garingo. I, for- I forgot and if I introduced myself. I don't think you did, but who cares? Uh, yeah, you. if you're this far, you know who I am. There's uh, there's a lot of emotion in that gravelly voice of Batman. There's a lot of emotions all, all over the place about this movie. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of slack-jawed stupidity. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah no there certainly is uh i guess i'm gonna show my hand just full out right now uh i haven't seen this movie in a few years um i i i loved it when i first saw it i also loved it now which is a serious concern i had going into it and it is by no means uh perfect or or even it's definitely not even close to my favorite of the three. I don't even think it's as good as the second of my favorite of the three. Um, just so know, you're saying that it just hit me. So you're it's saying the worst it's, of the Nolan movies. It's the third of the three. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the worst of the the trilogy, and by that I mean I forgot what superhero movies were like when they were good. So that's uh that's that's my. My opening controversial statement. Ah, fuck, this is so boring <laughs> that I like this movie. I was really uh, hoping to come in and be like, well, the because there's like thematic plot, structural character flaws, like on every little ounce of this movie, basically. But when it hit, it hit me like hard. And I was just very surprised. I didn't actually cry, but there was a moment or two or three or five when I was like, hey, this is I'm getting some chills. Well, right if, now. if you can stop crying all over yourself, I can make a fucking point. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> Which please, is Matt. What, what did you think? That I think the Dark Knight Rises is probably it just it exposes everything that works and everything that doesn't about the Nolan films. It's yeah, all of the trilogy in one, mm. and uh, it's very messy at times. It's definitely, I would say. Definitely not as good as Begins or Dark Knight. There's a there's definitely a step down, which is that this is a very uh, <clears throat> I guess this is a very fat film. I will say. Oh, oh uh, God, yeah, it's just like there's so it, it's much, so long. It's it's so long, and what's honestly very odd about it is that it feels so much longer than The Dark Knight, yet it hits pretty much all the same beats at the exact same time as The Dark Knight. Yeah. Which is something I found shocking on rewatch. Like, I remembered it being, like, really lopsided, but it kind of fits the structure of The Dark Knight the same. It's just because of the amount it's trying to work in, in the same amount of time, it feels longer. You know what else I think makes it feel like just... Uh, kind a huge mess, a huge mess. Admittedly, it's it's got the like the style, the the look, the uh, the structure of the Dark Knight. 
but it has like the elements of Batman Begins, where it's it's way more comic booky than The Dark Knight. Uh, there's some some more not not full on like fantastic fantasy action like superhero stuff going on here. Uh, action's never been Nolan's strong suit, but it does lean more into like the the capes and cowls of it all. This is definitely much more about Batman than Dark. Well, Dark Knight was definitely kind of more subtle about it. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. it's like we get mask talk within the first like five minutes, <laughs> and who's wearing the real mask and all that stuff. Um, so I guess what I want to say is, as we do this episode, I think we're going to end up agreeing about most of this. Uh, I think we're going to say what I think these films they 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 really. I've had this weird thing where I sit down and I watch them and. I, for like the first half, I'm kind of like, oh no, <laughs> this is, this is not as good as I remember it. And this one, I didn't even have super high opinions of the first time. I, I will say, I think I liked this more than when I saw it, when I came at when it came out and I liked it when it came out. Um, but there's always this moment in all three of these movies where something kind of clicks together and I'm suddenly like, all right, I get it. And it works. And I don't know what that is, and I just, I guess that um, we might, I don't know, we might walk away feeling a little differently about some moments, we might disagree, we'll get into it, but I think uh, we can agree on one thing, and that's that 9-11 was a national tragedy. Well, like, <laughs> six minutes, six minutes almost flat. I wanted to get, <laughs> that, I wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> Um, I wanted to get that in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, mean, not to completely derail it, but there's heavy 9-11 style. All of these are about 9-11 and the Bush administration. This one's a little bit about the Obama administration. Um, I mean, Dark Knight, four years, four years between Dark Knight and this. So it was a, we got kind of Obama's first term underway. Uh. And we still don't know what to make of Obama's first term. That's definitely what this film seems to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I Since our last recording on The Dark Knight, yeah, you, you put some thoughts into my head. Yeah. Uh, not, not so much the theory stuff. That's fun to think about. And I think uh, there's some interesting readings that you brought up. I think my, my theories <laughs> more just kind of give themes like structure that maybe isn't there. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do definitely think there, there's something going on here. I can't tell how much Nolan is in on it. No, that's the thing. That's the one I want to bring up. Well, we were talking about Dark Knight and how like how I related to Halloween where these older films might be made with by more conservative artists or conservative mindsets of the era. You know, as people grow, they evolve or whatever. And the best art can evolve with it. You know, it can be shaped into um, those different readings. And I think The Dark Knight Rises also kind of fits that. And I was very concerned because I just remembered imagery. Like, again, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I just remembered imagery that was, like, clearly aping some, like, uh, uh, what was the the Wall Street protests? Uh, Occupy Wall and, Street. Uh, yeah, Occupy Wall Street. I mean, that is and, so like, blatant in this. But it, it really – we'll get to that, but it really doesn't have anything to say about Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it, uh, it, it doesn't. And it's this weird thing because I guess we're going to talk about, like, the big stuff in the movie because there's just so fucking much. But 
one of the things I also mentioned Dark Knight was that I, I kind of criticized that film. And that was kind of unfair because it's not about the people of Gotham. It's kind of about the, the law and order institutions. Dark Knight Rises tries to be about the city of Gotham. And I was worried because I just remember like, oh, yeah, I focus so much on like the police. And like now we have like Blue Lives Matter and all this stuff. Mm. And it wasn't great at the start when they first made it. And it's aged terribly. But then I'm sitting down and watching it. And I'm like, oh my god! Like the but the next the character who's going to become the next Batman recognizes that these institutions are too flawed to like be a part of anymore, and he throws his badge over the edge. So even though it's like, yeah, the cops saved the day, the the next figurative uh, Batman protagonist says, "Fuck all that," and I. I don't know how successful it is at realizing that. And like you said, I don't know how much Nolan is in on it. But I was just like, oh my god. I think it's very intentional. Okay. Um, I will say I think this movie is about handing off the Batman to the audience. (laughs) I I think this is a movie about separating Bruce Wayne from Batman. I think that's what this movie is kind of about. Um, Bruce Wayne's inability to do it and then his inevitable quest to do it. Uh, and that the ending of this film is very much handing it off to be like, you figure it out (laughs) because this movie has blind spots. Like, like I said, this movie definitely doesn't see black lives matter coming (laughs) or, and this movie really doesn't have anything to say about inequality, which is a big issue now, you know? And it's one that was not, which I'm not saying people weren't talking about because obviously Occupy Wall Street was going on, but I don't think it was as readily apparent um, when this film came out as it is now, that now people are kind of starting to realize that it's about the institutions themselves being flawed more so than, because I mean, this, I think the Batman films very much start with if the right guy is in charge, things can get fixed. And that is very much what people believed through the Obama administration. I mean, we talk about a lot of the problems we're dealing with right now all started under Obama. But we didn't talk about it because we thought the right guy was in charge. And now we're in a post-Obama era where we're like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) That was wrong. And I think this film kind of saw that coming in a way. Because it's not the movie doesn't just pass it on to uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, um, John Blake, um, it it's bigger than that. It, did you catch that it's bigger than just Blake? Uh, uh, well, you got the stuff with the orphan kids, but even just like the last imagery when everyone thinks that Batman and Bruce Wayne died in the nuclear blast, uh, my, my big criticism that I still had for this movie for the majority of its runtime was that, well, it's still not really focusing on the people who are subservient or like uh, oppressed by the institutions, you know, mm-hmm. it just kind of pivots them in with the Bane henchmen and whatever. Yeah. But then it starts showing people like coming out of the ashes, holding on to each other and like rebuilding Gotham. And I was like, that's what I wanted. And like, I'm not okay with the movie, not focusing on it up to that point. But the fact that I got that in this like $200 million movie, I was like, there's that's, that, that, that's impressive. It, it, would- it needs more. But I liked it. It definitely needs more, but I think maybe for its... I think it's good as it is. It's good as an artifact of its time, you know? 
Um, mm-hmm. I like it more because of its flaws than because I like that it misses just as much as it hits, you know, because I think it really says something about the middle of the Obama era, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I find that really fascinating. That's that's kind of what I ended up walking away from this with. What I'm saying is that this movie understands that its time has passed, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That That's why the Batman, quote-unquote, dies in this film, you know? And he doesn't even really die, but Bruce Wayne separates himself from Batman. So now it's no longer... It, it realizes that the biggest flaw of Batman is Bruce Wayne. And that will always be the flaw of Batman, is that who's under the mask? And that changes, so that's why it passes to a new generation. That will then take up, you know, the spirit of Batman. And we'll have to figure it out and eventually we'll have to give it up. And I guess that's where the problem is because we've learned kind of through history that people with the power don't tend to give it up. (laughs) I mean, this is a movie that still kind of goes like, this is a movie that kind of acknowledges that Bruce Wayne being a billionaire is wrong. But it goes, buddy, he'll understand that. (laughs) He'll give it up. Well, I mean, I found myself siding with Scarecrow at one point in this, when he's, like, judging all the rich people and sending them off to their deaths. I was like, yeah. Well, there's definitely a truth in it. I think that's what Bane taps into it. Bane very explicitly replaces one lie with another, you know? Um, This is a movie about uh, Bane taking everything that Batman is. Bane just t- Batman hoards all of his resources just enough to allow Bane to take all of them. And that's what ends up happening. And it's not just resources in terms of money. It's not just resources in terms of military hardware. It's also resources in terms of the lie that is Harvey Dent, which Bane takes out and then replaces with his own lie that he's a liberator, which he's not. He's very explicitly not... All of his talk of revolution is a lie, and he manipulates it and controls it. Um, But Batman and Gordon were doing the same, using Harvey Dent to lock up all the prisoners. Yeah, that's what uh, another thing I was so shocked by. Like, again, because everyone has this kind of mindset how these films were made in a more conservative era. uh, under They started under conservative presidency, and how they've been moderately progressing in a weird way alongside us um there's there's probably some holes in that statement right there but whatever just roll with it uh and how bane and and the 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 league of shadows or the mercenaries or whatever they are it's kind of unclear at times to me uh they everything they do to dismantle and destroy gotham was like set up in the previous films like by the ideas of batman the, the characters trying to make gotham better like they there's all this talk about like oh you know the fire rises and everything and that's like a great way to put it they just light a fire under like the ass of gotham but they didn't put down the gasoline you know like that's been been building over time and that was like what the fuck and it very much does put it on uh the institutions that they're serving in gotham to make it better well it's definitely weird it's weird to think about this coming out with the conversation, because there's the the whole Dent Act, which was passed after, like, Harvey Dent's become, you know, immortalized. There's Harvey Dent Day, there's the Dent Act, which eliminated organized crime by basically taking away all the civil liberties of prisoners. Yeah, which Um, is uh, bad. 
And it's weird to hear them talk about how the mayor basically gives a speech like early on where it's like, there's talks about repealing the Dent Act, but not on my watch. And this was happening like right when there was a big discussion about repealing, you know, the Bush era Patriot Act and his war powers, which Obama didn't do, by the way. Um, which I think is something important to maybe think about. <laughs> uh, so that's like very awkward to hear, especially I can't imagine. I mean, I wasn't as socially conscious at the time, but it's weirder listening to it now, um, knowing more about that era. It was still hard. I remember even in 2012, it was still hard to make heads or tails of what Obama was doing. And then it kind of became apparent as the election of that year played out. Um, Drone warfare is fun. I want to talk about the opening. Okay. Uh, this is the one they showed in IMAX. Yes. With Ghost Protocol. Not I Am Legend, something I mixed up last episode. Yeah. Um, this one, again, like I think the, uh, the I think I said the opening of The Dark Knight was kind of a mission statement for the film. I think the same could be said for this one. Uh, where thereafter, it's... Honestly, it's so ridiculously convoluted what's happening in this opening, um, where there's this Dr. Pavel, he's important. Um, you can tell this one was much more tailor-made for marketing. Like, this was much more made to get people talking like, oh, what is this guy? Who's this? What is happening? Um, and he, Dr. Pavel is handed over to the CIA He's important. Bane's men were after him for some reason. Um, Bane has snuck on board uh, the plane, of course. Uh, and we get his reveal. Like, um, doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. And Bane is, of course, dubbed like a spaghetti western. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the complaints from the that, that opening IMAX sequence were like, that was really fun and cool and everyone loved it. But no one could understand <laughs> no what he was saying. No one knew what the so, fuck Bane was talking about. Which would be a persistent problem with Nolan going in, in, into Interstellar. Not the only problem. I have a whole thing on that. That's like the, that's what took up the, the majority of my notes. There's a comparison I'm going to make in how this film's final act kind of... It, it doesn't build up naturally to the mm. point it's trying to make. But yeah, the, the ADR is fucking like... It's like, it, right, it's, it, it might, it, it, Tom it Hardy works, might but. as well be leaning over you and le and whispering in your ear the whole fucking movie. Yeah, but you know what? The Bane voice might be, like, the greatest contribution to society, like, these movies had to offer. Oh, yeah, I love, I, I'm really trying hard not to do a shitty Bane impression <laughs> throughout this, um, but... Yeah, it was, honestly, we, we gotta give Tom Hardy a lot of credit, because, you know, he's coming off of, he's got a top fucking the most iconic villain performance of the last decade. Yeah, Tom and, Hardy's so good in this movie, I it doesn't bother me that much that Bane is whitewashed. Well, it and, does. And yeah, don't, yeah, don't mistake this. It's it's a problem. I'm I'm Mexican. We don't got a lot of uh, awesome uh Latino supervillains or superheroes for that matter. More supervillains. But uh, but, uh Tom Hardy's really good. And, and but could you imagine he's the only one who could be the white Bane? Bane with like a telenovela voice though would have been amazing. Oh my god! No, my whole thing was like 
he's not even Mexican, he's Spanish, but like if Javier Bardem had oh, done yeah, it, I yeah. would have been like on board too. Well, and Javier Bardem very much plays a Batman-esque villain in uh, fucking um, Skyfall. So uh, You mean the uh, Bond's The Dark Knight? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tom Hardy, all, and that's why his voice, I think, is so iconic, because he really, all, all he can act with is his eyes and his voice. And just body movement, because we don't, because the mask he wears obscures so much of his face. Um. Uh, and we immediately get hit with the mask themes of this film. Because Bane's mask is very explicitly an inverse of Batman's mask. Um, whereas, you know, his covers the mouth exclusively, whereas Batman's the only opening is the mouth. Um, and here the mask has essentially become part of Bane's body. He can't live without the mask. It's a part of him. And that's the threat of what Batman could end up like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big thing in this film, and I really like that for Nolan, the dude who like really spends time like, uh, like doling out plot stuff along with the, with the thematics. That he doesn't go too far to explain the mechanics of the mask, mm. because then people start saying, "Well, how does he eat?" You know? Yeah. And it's not a question the movie poses, so like it doesn't matter. But that's just like something I think about a lot. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but it is something. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where it's just like you get it like immediately, um, which is a, a yeah. Nolan thing, I guess. Uh, but I, I, the other thing about this that, again, it's this is like the biggest where it makes me question how much Nolan knows what he's doing because, you know, the, the plan is that they're going to crash the plane with no survivors, kidnap Dr. Pavel, leave one of their guys behind, make it seem like a terrorist attack to kill Dr. Pavel. Um, and they even do a thing where they, they lower a dead body in to put Pavel's blood into the body, alleged, you know, supposedly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, I feel like, you know, there's something called dental records that would be looked at first instead of blood in the plane crash. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Again, it's like, there's like this over-explaining, like, how... Like, why no one thinks Dr. Pavel was kidnapped, but it's it doesn't make any sense if you think about it for more than two minutes. <laughs> it also doesn't make sense that anyone will walk away going like, well, clearly they crashed the plane from within, because, like, the way they crashed the plane is they ripped the wings off, like, miles away. <laughs> yeah, that's... <from> where the... <laughs> but, like, someone will put that together. You could argue that the government, like, knows that, and they just wouldn't tell the public. But it's still, it's odd. And it, may, it makes about as little sense as the Joker sneaking out in the bus in the, the <laughs> robbery of uh, the opening of The Dark Knight. So it's, just, it's an exciting scene, but it's like, it's, it's very clunky. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with the mission statement part of that one. Mm-hmm. Because the opening of The Dark Knight very clearly establishes like all the shit that's that of how the Joker operates, you know. Um, Bane's opening, I don't think clearly does. You 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 get the idea that this is bigger than just Gotham. This what? is this is a a villain, uh, an evil that is like encroaching not from within Gotham itself, but from the world on the on the outside, uh, which is which is kind of fun. 
but I don't, I, I don't think it, it has the same like punch to it at all. The opening is Bane literally using the plane against itself, yeah. which is, which again is fun. <laughs> he uses the confinement of the plane, much as he will use the confinement of Gotham later in the film. Um, I don't know, and it just it establishes enough that we know more of what's going on because that's uh, the the other thing about this film that I think frustrated audiences upon initial watch is that for the first time maybe the audience is ahead of Batman. Batman doesn't really know what's going on for most of the movie, and the audience clearly does, but that's that seems to be deliberate. We'll yeah, that more. I do I do really like. Um... Because he, he hasn't been Batman for like eight years or whatever, right? Yeah. I'm very curious about your take on this, because I know this divides a lot of people still. Um, Him not being Batman for eight years? Yeah, it was uh, a big point of conversation when, when uh, after this was released. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know, because this movie just goes off and does such of its own thing, I don't really think about it, to be honest. Like I, I, I know it's the lamest like way to come away from a controversial point to be like <laughs> ah, I don't care like like I I just, I'm trying to avoid whenever we talk about these movies to be like well Batman wouldn't do that and I'm like well then I'm not really operating by what the film is trying to say yeah yeah in this world we don't need Batman anymore he did everything he needed to and but but the thing is that's funny is that he's not Batman he he's He's not Batman in the streets, but he's Batman in the sheets. Um, no, uh, he's uh, he's still very much pulling strings from his mansion. They're just not as obvious as they once were, you know. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's, but they, he helped put you know the dent act in the place by taking the fall as Batman and just kind of let things play out and i'm sure he, i mean he's hosting harvey dent day so i'm sure he was instrumental in kind of you know propping up harvey as this figure to rally behind that then got all this to happen so he's still doing the batman thing he's just not running around in the batman costume as much so yes it's so funny because like all those criticisms i had about batman begins in dark knight was like well you know I, I really wish we saw more of bruce wayne helping out the city of gotham like uh if he is that good billionaire that he's so often positioned as because apparently that can exist you know mm-hmm. um like we never see that and then in this film i was like oh yeah i forgot yeah this film has <laughs> more of it um although even then, I think this movie's a little skeptical of his... Not just because of the Harvey Dent Day thing, but there's something about his his activities where people are like, hey, this movie kind of thing... I think this movie ends up saying no one man should have all that power. <laughs> you know? I think that's I kinda... would drop that Kanye song in here, but I don't want to get hit with like, yeah, a exactly. copyright notice. <laughs> I think that's what this film is kind of kind of falls down on at the end. Because we get this whole thing later in the film where there's a boy's home... Which, first of all, I just want to talk about how weird it is that it's explicitly a boys' orphanage. Like, with with Nolan's such such weird relationship with women. Yeah, that was uh, odd. Like, he's only helping a boys' orphanage, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but he... 
we find out that he's been helping it for years, but now he is not helping it because, you know, Wayne Enterprises has been kind of... He's, he's kind of ignoring it, and Wayne Enterprises is kind of an issue, but it's also implying that he's allowing it to fail because he wants an excuse to bring Batman back. And that, you know, if juvenile delinquency goes up, he has an excuse to bring Batman back. He... Bruce Wayne desperately wants to come back as Batman in this, but he has he doesn't have an excuse to. And he's looking for it, and it's self-destructive, and he's going to bring the whole city down with him, basically. Mm. Um, I just find that really interesting. Um, but again, it, like, I'm talking about the, the ideas of this film, but the structure, like, it is so clunky for the first, like, 20 minutes or so, where we're getting, like, Harvey Dent Day and Gordon is like, he knows the truth. He wants to say it. He writes a speech, but then he doesn't. It's like, maybe it isn't the time for the truth. Uh, we get fucking, um, uh, oh God, uh, uh, Stranger Things. Selena Kyle? No, Stranger Things actor. Oh, um, Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine cop. <laughs> oh, he overacts the shit out of every scene who, in this. Who like becomes a central figure. <laughs> To the film, um, we get Selena Kyle. We get Ben Mendelsohn as John Daggett, like thrown in in a really a scene that feels really trimmed down, like it was longer. And he's just like, "Oh, Bruce Wayne, no one's seen him for years." <laughs> Everything you're talking about is absolutely true, but I just want to say that Ben Mendelsohn is awesome, and I think this is what caused him to like blow up because this is when he started getting a lot more uh, film roles in America too. Yeah. I would guess. And ever since then, he's just been, like, racking them up. Yeah, it's a shame that he kind of gets roles that make you wonder if he's going to come back. Because <laughs> mm. I love... I, he, honestly, he's he seems to be the best part of movie season. <laughs> <laughs> and then, unfortunately, he dies in a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we also get Miranda Tate, who is uh, clearly someone when... Nolan, you killed off the only woman... <laughs> in the fucking <laughs> franchise so he's like fuck it i got two so he throws <laughs> two women in but we got to introduce them real quick um and we of course get selena kyle's whole thing and she's it's there's just this whole like thing of like stealing bruce wayne's fingerprints to do the thing because ben mendelson has hired her because ben mendelson's hired bane and who's working for who or blah 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 and it's like that's like the first like hour of this film <laughs> And it's just not very interesting. And but again, the the Dark Knight had the same thing where we're like Batman thinks he's fighting the mob for the first hour of the Dark Knight, and then the Joker kind of like comes in and like changes the whole game, right? Yeah. And but here it's like it's just not as interesting. Um, makes the first half of this really drag where we're just constantly getting stuff thrown at us. And, and it feels like every character feels the need to explain, like, the 4D chess that they're playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, that became a thing that was kind of annoying. Uh, it's just, it's very, it's a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we talk about how some movies are, like, a lot of movie. Like, again, to bring up, uh, I guess the, the, the retrospective mainstay on this Batman podcast, Aquaman, is a lot of movie, but it's just throwing so much at you 
And it's like this big swashbuckling adventure vibe. Whereas Dark Knight Rises is a lot of movie. And again, I do love it. But man, it it feels kind of like Nolan was less interested in the people this time. And just full throttle on the ideas. And to play with the IMAX cameras in ways that he hadn't before. Because Wally Pfister came back for this final Batman movie with him too. Uh, It's stunningly photographed. I I popped in my Blu-ray. And it's just like, wow, man, this is a really good fucking like looking movie. Yeah, uh, it's, but it's real, it's those small nice. scenes between between people where even like some of the blocking is really bad. And I'm not talking about the action that people meme and like gif already. Like, yeah, that's a little silly, but whatever. He's dealing with like 500 extras in certain scenes. It's, it's bound to happen. I, I'm yeah. talking about like how people like interact on like one on one basis. Sometimes it, it feels. Odd. Like maybe they didn't get everything they needed, so there's a little like off-camera ADR. Um, there's a lot of off-camera uh, ADR. Yeah, it's but, like uh, it, blatant in this. Really, it's more I think scene construction where scenes don't really lead into each other as well as they did last time. Like, yeah, we we honestly feel like we go from like moments where we're like, "What are we doing here? Who is this? What's going on?" <laughs> Whereas the last film, it's like, you know. Oh, we uh, we're looking for the bat. Uh, you know, the mob bank gets robbed. We go to Gordon, who's dealing with the mob problem, but he's like, ah, oh, the Batman's on patrol. We then immediately go into a Batman scene, you know, and mm-hmm. then we immediately like everything that we're about to lead into gets set up in a previous scene, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. this, it's like a bunch of different interconnected stories just kind of bouncing off each other, where we're constantly like, well, who is this new guy? <laughs> they were saying, who is this guy for, like, the first, I would say, 40 minutes of the movie. Um, and it just, it gets, oh, it, it's a little awkward. Uh, this is going to sound super harsh. But again, I promise you, I really like this movie. Mm. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, like, half an hour into that movie, they barely introduce Harry Osborn, who will become the final antagonist of that film. Mm-hmm. So they have to establish a relationship between Peter Parker and him, uh, the antagonistic relationship, uh, the breakdown of that relationship after the act one has already like passed. So that that movie uh, that also, movie doesn't fucking work. <laughs> that movie also opens on with a fight on a plane. <laughs> that oh god yeah. Um, well, they, I mean, they clearly were just trying to like ape stuff from the the Nolan trilogy because there's so much talk of like I think Spider-Man could bring people hope you know mm-hmm. in, in both of those movies and it's just like oh yeah shoot me <laughs> yeah that's not no yeah what the fuck were they thinking man well one of the one of the writers was a 9-11 truther but whatever oh yeah I, now I remember <laughs> <laughs> oh I bet you he fucking loves these movies oh boy yeah um, yeah, he's, he's me in the last episode, except not half joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but this movie, what eventually takes hold is that this movie's really, it, it does eventually position Bat, at Bruce Wayne as the through line of this film and how his Batman alter ego is self-destructive and damaging to all around him. And that's essentially what this film ends up being about. It just, there's so much else around it that you have to get through. It's a little, eh, for a bit. And, no, it, it totally is. But, like, when you look at it like a like a full-on, like, mosaic, you know, you hang it up 
and you're like, oh man, okay, so the first act is a little like rough around the edges, but like even though Gotham's like in a state of peace, more or less, you know, people are kind of all over the place without Bruce Wayne. Then Bruce Wayne comes back, the the cities are on the up and up, and then oh, Bane comes back, and the only way to save it is with of course, Batman and, and Bruce Wayne's uh, self-sacrifice attempt. And it's like, oh, this is, that's a cool emotional like arc for the movie. Too, too bad it doesn't play better the first act. But, yeah. you know, that's that's a good idea. It just makes it – it's just – it's a dense beginning. Yeah, um, it, it's definitely too dense. I, it's, I, I wish uh, someone had, like, tapped on the shoulder when him and his brother were writing it and were like, hey, so what what uh what's happening here? Because this is like – we're 30 pages in, I don't know. <laughs> I legit think this might have worked better as, like, two films. You know? Just go all uh, Avengers. Yeah. Well, because there's a moment in this that I would have, like, loved for this movie to end on. <laughs> which oh, is, please tell me. Well, which is Because I, I, I want to be honest. I don't want to break down every, like, major plot thing that happens in this movie or character moment. Because there's just so much. Mm. I would, I would, if, if. You could do it, which you probably can't. Just fucking Bane beats the fuck out of Batman and then just credits. And yeah, then that, that would have been a great moment. The opening of the next film is Bane blowing up the stadium and everything. Because uh, I always say, because I think one thing, I'm very much like, I just want to get to the fucking action and story, you know? It was like that part mm-hmm. of me. And I wish, like, you could have so easily, a different film could have done most of what this film is doing by just starting it with Bane blowing up the city. (laughs) Without all this needless backstory, without all this, like, other stuff, I think they could have woven the narrative together better. But they tried to do the Dark Knight thing again where the, the movie turns on its head halfway through. And I just don't think it works as well here. No, it definitely doesn't, but I do like to see uh, Christopher Nolan essentially get to make a disaster movie for a couple minutes. Because, oh, again, yeah. he's not he's not a great action director, but... You know what, he's I not a he, great... Uh, this probably has the weakest action of some of the movies. Um, totality of action, but the fucking Batman versus Bane fight in the sewer is one of my favorites. And it might not even be because of the choreography, because the choreography is very bad. <laughs> but it's like the sounds of it are, are just incredible. Oh, and like, uh, of course, Hans Zimmer made the score for all these. We haven't really talked about him, but he's great. You know, he's great when he hits, um, like in these. But they made the absolute correct choice to not have any music playing during that sewer beatdown. Yeah. Just, it's just the feet on the catwalk and just the water running. And just the punches hitting, like because the, the the sound actually ends up doing the heavy lifting because it doesn't look that amazing. No, but, and the but there is one hit, and again, it I don't I don't know why it works for me because someone like some actual stunt coordinator would be like, that's actually looks terrible, and I'd be like, I know, but I think it's so badass when Batman tries to like punch Bane so hard, Bane flips around, jumps in the air, oh, yeah. and like hammers him down that's and the one pushes batman back it looks weird but i'm like okay that was really fucking cool i don't yeah. know what just happened but it looks really fucking i cool. think it gets the feel of the moment much better and i would say that whole descent into the sewers is really cool partly because it's 
it's like a really engaging action scene, but it's also a completely staged action scene because it's a trap. So none of those people in the way are really meant to stop Batman. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It adds this like really interesting vibe to everything. And I really like the dynamic of, uh, cause I had mentioned in dark Knight, I wish there was more of his, uh, his league of, uh, assassins, a league of shadows type, uh, martial arts fighting stuff like coming out of the shadows and grabbing people like in Batman begins. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of that in that sequence too. Like when the dude shooting him shooting at Batman through yeah. the, through like the sewer hallways. And then he just, he flashes of Batman as he gets closer to the dude before taking him out. I was like, Oh yeah, that's the shit right there. But I uh, think nothing, nothing outstanding, but just a little bit again, know? this is supposed to be a much sloppier Batman. Like mm-hmm. he's really rusted in this film. That's a big part of it. Uh, but I don't know. Um, something about it, it it's clunking. It, it's its just like bloated action kind of works for me in a weird way. <laughs> where the action itself isn't engaging, but like the idea of most of the action scenes where like Batman is no longer being like the strategic thinker, which is what you would have to be to do the more chaotic fighting. He kind of just was like barreling in the scenes and actually causing more problems than he's helping, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically the chase scene after the robbery at at wall street um yeah yeah that one uh i like how you see it get like darker as it goes on yeah uh that's kind of fun uh it does go on a little long for me but that might just be like a a byproduct of the first act going no, it's, on it's, it's, definitely, it's not the it's probably the weakest chase scene in all of these movies <laughs> because um, the, the last one the one it ends on is a lot better but that's because we actually give a shit about what's going on at this point Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it ends on a funky note. We'll, we'll yeah, surely yes. get to. Um, but uh, I caught myself like on the edge of my seat a little bit. I was like, "Oh wow, I forgot." <laughs> like this is this is the good shit. Although it's weird that there's an, a literal counter on that bomb because it's not really a yeah. bomb. Uh, we don't talk about that. But that's uh, that's a whole thing. We should also talk about. I mean, this is like again. You're like you're, you. You want to try and figure out like is. What is Nolan really thinking with this film? Because literally, the bomb in this film, the device of everyone's destruction, is a green energy device. <laughs> it's that green energy will lead to our destruction. And that's like, it adds like this whole weird level to it, you know, mm-hmm. that idea. But what I think ends up happening here is that uh, this is a movie about how Batman is simultaneously too paranoid, not paranoid enough because he is in his absence. He has hoarded all his weapons. They're all under one location. His, his precious armory, um, which, which will be raided by Bane and used to enforce his order upon the city. Um, Bruce Wayne has hoarded his wealth, which is eventually stolen. Um, Bruce Wayne has hoarded this fusion device and hasn't told anyone about it. He's lied about its existence and plays close to this because he can't trust anyone. But if he had, he might not have handed it over to Miranda Tate, who is, of course, the real puppet master of this whole fucking movie. And I think that's the point. I think the point is that Batman has too much control over everything. And even his relationship with Miranda Tate that he eventually ends up developing is more about the fact that he at least thinks he's controlling her, you know? Yeah. This is about, he's gotten way too obsessed with controlling things. And 
that's what leads. I don't. So I don't think it's really about you know the bomb, the a green energy bomb itself. It's the fact that Batman's paranoia got to him. You know. I'm gonna push it a step further. I think ultimately what this movie is about, and not just because it says it. I think it's actively through its characters, through its visuals, through its its themes. I think it's about having faith in people, not not so much in the symbols, but in opening those symbols up to people and trusting that even through all like bumps in the road that people can persevere through it. Bane uses that a similar line in like manipulating people, but of course it's manipulation, it's not the real deal. Uh and it's no longer having faith in those structures, which even Gordon calls shackles yeah. at a certain point. Well, I mean, uh, Bane is, he's using the lie of liberation to control people, right? And yeah. Batman is using the lie of justice to control people. Like I said, they're just, they're interchangeable lies to achieve similar goals. Uh, I, I just, that's, it seems to be what he's going for here. Uh, yeah. I'm not and and Bane's it. Bane's mercenaries, or they they're called mercenaries, but they're really League of the Sh- League of Shadows, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the they're yeah. the guys who are too crazy for the League of Shadows. Yeah. Which, uh, even though that's kind of like a a really generic like exposition thing, in this case, it, it just sounds really badass to me. Um, um, sure. But, yeah. I mean, I, I like it. You begging yeah. of psychopaths. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so you have them. Putting all their faith and like like hopes in Bane and and uh, Miranda Tate or Talia as she'll become to be revealed uh, to the point where they're like willing to sacrifice themselves like with just without a moment's notice like none of them have any hesitation. They're a death call. We gotta we gotta yeah. underlie that. Um. And so by the end, when it's the citizens of Gotham, it's really the police. Yes, yeah, that, that's the, the problem. Citizens. It's trying to say citizens of Gotham. I think. But the police take the reins. Yeah, which I I still think is a, a mistake. But let's just say the citizens of Gotham for purposes of my argument for a second, because I do think that's a valid criticism. Um, well, it thinks it's saying something about the citizens of Gotham, but it ends up just saying something about the police, um, which I think is where the message of this film gets a little muddled. Because um, at the end of the day, the police are rejected <laughs> as an institution. Um, but that's at the very end in one line of dialogue that you could miss if you're not paying attention. Which contradicts the fact that the city falls into chaos essentially when the police are eliminated. And again, that's where these films fall into this weird rut <laughs> of, like, it's, like, why are the Gotham police so powerful? Like, I think maybe it's trying to say something there. Uh, where it's, you know, I have the, I've been talking about the whole thing of like the trickle down militarism where now the police have been empowered to such an extent that they're basically a military force. <laughs> Cause it's like the, the, there's re there's strong evidence that the masked terrorist Bane is in the sewers of Gotham and they, they just bring the police in to deal with it. And it's a little odd. I mean, it's again where, and again, it's that it's that weird thing about this whole trilogy where it leans so heavily into like 9-11 imagery and like grounded military stuff, and yet everything is so archetypal and just <laughs> like metaphorical and not meant to be taken seriously. Like this doesn't this movie doesn't take place on planet Earth, but it looks like it does. 
which is just an odd choice. It looks more <laughs> grounded than any of the previous Batman movies. And yet, it's probably just as unrealistic. Well, it, it definitely, again, like, it leans more into the Batman Begins type of the, the mythos and the symbols and the, admittedly, some of the Asian mysticism tropes that I'm not crazy about or I don't think anyone's really yeah. crazy about anymore. It's like, you know. And and the the, the vague Middle Eastern foreign threat. Yeah. Uh, um, that has also aged terribly. And it wasn't, again, like the police stuff hasn't, that wasn't hasn't even good. been good. That wasn't good at the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'm angry. If it didn't have it at the end, like that, that end button really saves the the police stuff for me, with uh, with Blake tossing aside his bag. It is, but it's it does, but it's just one line, and again, it becomes a problem because like Bane has a whole army of people, and you could almost mistake that it's literally the citizens of Gotham. Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think that the, the, the visual implication at times is that Bane's troops are leading them down the streets because, like, yeah, they've been manipulated, but it doesn't give them a voice and it doesn't give them um, anything more than comeuppance because they, they, you do see them arrested alongside Bane's troops by the by the end. But but you got to the main thing is that bane's army isn't the citizens of gotham it's the prisoners he released that it, he he lies and says that you know you know he gives that whole speech where he reveals the harvey dent lie mm-hmm. um and then he's like take back from the like he, he's implying that he's he's telling the city to go free the prisoners but really he's freeing the prisoners you know yeah. he, he he's saying that an anonymous gothamite has the trigger but he has the trigger like the, that's really all it comes down to and so all of this like the whole occupy thing it's all a lie it's not real it's manip- it's a it's a real problem that is manipulated by bane i mean he's almost trumpian in a way ooh you now know? we're going now we're like, going places i'm just saying like as 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 fucking awful as donald trump is he is rightfully pointing out that a lot of there's a lot of problems <laughs> on an institutional level in America. He offers zero solutions and actively exacerbates most problems. But the the core of his belief is that things are not good in America, and he's right about that. <laughs> he's lying. He's lying about what is causing the problems. And so is Bane. Actually, you know what? No, Bane goes further. Bane isn't even lying about what the problems are. And, but he is, he knows he's lying. And he's, like, Trump doesn't even realize he's fucking lying to people. <laughs> like, as Trump, you know, Trump goes on the air and he's like, we will protect health care, we will protect jobs, we will tax the rich, we will do all that. And then he does the opposite. <laughs> and I don't even think he realizes what he's doing. Because he's not making the decisions all the people around him are. But... Um, but in rhetoric, he is Bane and Trump are very similar. 
And I'm almost willing to bet that, like, the people that walk away from these movies, they go, like, Bane is right. <laughs> and are the same people that walk away from, like, The Last Jedi being, like, Kylo Ren was right. Kill the past. I don't want to even get into the whole Last Jedi thing, but, like, it's so I'm, weird I'm that people... Saying... No, no, because you have a point. It's so weird that people cut, walk away from that movie going, yeah, kill the past. Like, burn the past. Kill it if you have to. And it's like, that's so not the point of that movie. It's just, it, it points to how media illiterate our society is. And I mean, because we're like, we literally get like that movie, literally, he's a genocidal maniac. So he, there's nothing worth listening to. And here we have a guy who is lying and actively telling us he's lying. And people are still like, he's right. <laughs> and I mean, and then we you get like, people are like, Thanos was right. And that's even worse because that movie seems to also think Thanos is kind of right. Then, oh my – okay. I had major Thanos vibe from from watching Bane in this. But because I was like, oh yeah, this is how you write a good villain. I like – not that I, I'm like in love with Thanos. I was never a huge fan of this interpretation of Thanos. But I was just like, fuck. <laughs> this was a mistake. I'm watching Endgame. We're watching Endgame like next week. Like, sorry. There's like no chance like that's going to even hold up. But – um. Just in terms of like how Thanos as a character really tries to uh, like convince only one person, Gamora, of his goals, and he's like, "Well, you know, I, there's no more war. Like, I, I once I wiped out half the population. It's like he, he doesn't understand the systemic issues, like that that lead to actual problems in in life forms. It's more complicated than just like taking life away, you know. And if there was a counterpoint to that, then maybe it'd be kind of interesting." some sort of discussion but the films are no longer interested in these characters talking to each other at least the big event ones so like i'm whatever i don't want to get into the whole thing i apologize for even bringing it up but well it's they've never the marvel films have never found a way to marry their plots their themes and their actions they've never found it it only kind of works in the first avengers because that movie is just about how the avengers need to be a team (laughs) uh that's the only reason uh, why it works uh, avengers Guard, the both Guardians movies get close. Those are my favorites, and they don't even nail it as good as that. Uh, maybe Thor and Thor Ragnarok also get close, but I know that might, that one of those might be divisive. But yeah, no, it's it's hard. It's hard to do. So I, I want to make sure I'm not I'm not just like talking out of my ass here. I recognize that it's very difficult to do. I, Thor, it's very easy for Thor to do it though because it's not reaching for much with what it's saying. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's like. The, it really is just a movie about, like, here's a toxic masculinity asshole. He learns to not be toxic. You gotta, you gotta learn your lesson, Thor. I learned my lesson. Okay. I just happen to really like the way it does it. Um, sure. <laughs> um, I, that dialogue is fine, I guess. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of the first Thor movie. No, I, I recognize most people aren't. So it's all good. Uh, but just, like, the way, like... Uh, and how Bane compared to like other villains like that, it, it, it's really interesting to, to to just hear him talk, even though he is like you know he's he's saying nothing but lies. But I would argue that there's a truth that strikes in the hearts of of the the citizens of Gotham, because like so many of these movies have been, uh, or this entire trilogy has been about um, crime and like disorder. Uh, just ruling over these people's lives and oppressing these these poor people who like can't 
do anything about it because it's a it's an institutional problem. These problems were always there. Bane just, you know, blows them up in front of, like, its citizens. Well, it's a Bane. It's so weird because, like, again, I do really like Bane's dialogue, but it's all meaningless at the end of the day. It's most of it is anyway. No, it, it's junk. But it's 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 interesting. What makes it really fascinating is just that it's we're being fed lies, and we know we're being fed lies for most of the movie. We don't know the extent of the lie. Like we maybe don't know Miranda Tate is secretly pulling the strings. Um, even though it it I can't believe that like flew under people when I rewatched this. <laughs> but because um, it's just so apparent after a while. Yeah. It's it's important to know that he's not even really he's not the one pulling the strings here. He's just an instrument of Talia Al Ghul, which changes the whole dynamic of the film. Um, which I think is frustrating for some people, but um, to me, it seems to make the movie work a little better. Okay, do you want to get into that? Because I was worried we we're going to argue about this. Uh, apart from some obvious quibbles with uh, the final executions and what have you. I, I'm also actually a fan of this after the rewatch. Uh, the Talia character and her her being like the mastermind behind everything. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a little awkward. Like his only crime was that he loved me. <laughs> um, is a little like all right. No, that's it, it. Brings back the Act One problems of like here's like all this exposition dumps and he's just like there's a battle going on like ten feet outside the door. <laughs> There's people punching outside. Yeah, there's like the the battle for Gotham survival, and then she's like monologuing at him. It's like, and it's not even like an empire or like a, an emperor thing in Return of the Jedi. It's just like in this small room, and I'm like, oh my god, this is. She's this basically is a monologuing funny. just to. She's just making fun of Batman, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, Which is kind of funny. But... I mean, it is kind of fun in that. That OG superhero kind of way, like where she just hates Batman so much. Well, one thing I find I find interesting about all this is that two things that are going on in this movie is one is that Batman is really off his game, right? Mm-hmm. So he can't put together that Bane is more than a mercenary, right? Right. He's like Bane. He's just he's a mercenary. He's working for Daggett. Daggett wants control of Wayne Enterprises. Um. But we as the audience know that there's more going on, you know? Yeah. And it's, and all the pieces are there for Bruce Wayne to put together, but he can't because he's off his game because he's not – he is just looking for an excuse to go back to being Batman because he's so fucked up because Rachel's dead and he's like, I want to die. But <laughs> um, he's, you know, a self-martyring sad boy and – he uh he just it's like a suicide attempt basically is his return and it's uh, it so all the pieces are there he doesn't put together which can be frustrating for the audience but it's i think that's meant to be the case uh the other mystery is that the the person who escaped from the prison um the hell hole prison which is a literal hell hole um that Batman literally has to rise out of. And there's the story of the one child who made it out. And for a while, the movie says it's Bane, but then it turns out that was Talia and Bane stayed in the prison. Um, and I think all the pieces are there for us to put us, put it together, but Batman doesn't. 
Um, and I think that's the point. I think it's just the point of like Batman can't see that problem for some reason. Um, I hear, I have it. I think yeah. I have an answer. No, no, I, I'm not. I'm not even asking for. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one anyways, or at least a take. Okay. Not, not an answer to a question. Just here's my read on that because I, I generally agree with that too. But I think it's because of Bane being like that direct contrast to Batman in a way that that's still radically different from the Joker, uh, which I mean, testament to, to Nolan and his writing crew. Cause that's like, that's, that's impressive. Having to follow that up is not an easy feat. Uh, and I, I him and obviously Heath Ledger were, were working very close and uh, a, a real tragedy that I, I do not envy anyone having to follow up. So the fact that he even came back for this is, is uh surprising to me in hindsight yeah i know there was some debate about whether or not even would yeah i I could imagine him genuinely not wanting to make this movie i i honestly i wouldn't i from from that experience just that's so sad um but as for uh what what he did with the bane character as as that mirror to batman and how uh he bane's devoted his life to serving talia and the league of shadows even after being excommunicated, they're achieving. They're they're going to achieve the same goal in their lifetime. That's what they've set out to do, and and Bruce thinks or has lost sight. I don't know if he thinks. I think he's lost sight of what Batman means to people outside of himself by this point. Well, he's he's lost sight, but he also can't see who Bane is because I mean Bane. <clears throat> it makes a very explicit where he's like you merely adopted the dark i was born into it and i think that's because batman's inability to relate he can't see that problem coming you know yeah um but there is a character who can relate here we go I'm going to talk about John Blake, uh, the orphan cop who is able to see through Batman, Bruce Wayne's mask, because he himself is wearing a mask that he talks about because his his parents were killed and he learns to hide that. And because he learned to hide that, he learns to see it in Bruce Wayne. And I remember a lot of people having problems with that, which I kind of (laughs) get. Because he literally just goes up to Bruce Wayne. He's like, I know you're Batman. It's uh, the act one problem. We'll just continue calling it. Good idea, maybe, but clunky. Well, yeah. And it's just like, could you have found a more clever way to do it? Yeah. You know? Like, maybe he secretly tells him, like, he knows, but he secretly tells Bruce Wayne that Batman needs to come back. Or maybe he breaks into the fucking Batcave, but then that fucks up the final reveal at the end of the film. Um. But, like, I don't know. They could have found a better way to integrate that into the film. Uh, but John Blake, uh, hero cop John Blake, who is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who gives a very interesting performance. Oh, are you not a fan? Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, like, a little all over the place for me. Oh, no. Nah, I, uh, I think he's good in this. He's very stoic in this. <laughs> which is not my favorite um, term. 
He's very uh, Star Wars prequel. In this. Oh, no. Get out. And I don't even mean that as, like, bad acting. I just mean that, like, he's very, like, just single-minded and determined. And he's like, I'm here. <laughs> you know? Um, but there, there's a point to it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. It just makes him, like, not... He's not interesting as a human being, but he's interesting as an idea. Yeah, which is, I which think, is why... Ve- which is... Probably the most Star Wars prequel thing you could be. Oh my god, The Dark Knight Rises is like the Star Wars prequels. I think that's why it works Kinda. for me. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Or at least more Revenge uh, of the Sith or Phantom Menace than clones, which is... Even I have a hard uh, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those movies, I could talk a lot more, but I'm not gonna... Yeah, I, I don't think we should. Uh, but, um, um, no, I, I think he's good and the idea thing i think that's also why this this movie just generally works for me i really am drawn to the ideas more so than uh the human element until the ideas are about the human element then i'm into it too sure (laughs) um but the one thing he's doing is that while batman is fucking up and just kind of like being a jackass (laughs) which is really what he's doing for the first act of this film um he uh Hero cop John Blake is, uh, he's the one actually doing real Batman detective work and is putting things together, which is kind of like he's the whole movie is getting set up to be the next Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of obvious. Um, but that's where the movie kind of goes at the end, where it's saying that Bruce Wayne can't be Batman anymore and that now it needs to pass on to the next generation and a generation that understands the problem more because this movie it doesn't really have anything to say like i said it doesn't have anything to say about inequality but i think it understands that it doesn't have anything to say about inequality so the ending of this film is ready to go well let's look at this from someone's from a different point of view that now like, i leave this entirely in your hands and it's literally i mean it's 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 also very direct with it's that it's, it's his statement about the movies themselves where that you're not supposed to watch these movies and be like, yeah, fuck yeah, Batman. You're supposed to take away from these stories and integrate them into your own life, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's what the, it's the handoff of the, I think it's kind of like, you know, Watchmen ending with, I leave it entirely in your hands, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it very much doesn't say that Batman is right or that you know that what batman is doing is an inherent good it's just saying that well you figure it out <laughs> and that's kind of john blake kind of plays that role in the film okay let, let, let me pitch something to you then Mm-hmm. would this film have benefited from someone like michael b jordan playing the the john blake role Mm. I think Michael B. Jordan might have been a better choice. I, I think not just I, I'm a JGL fan, but I also think Michael B. Jordan's like one of the best working actors today. So yeah, but also I think I think you need a person of color to to make that hit entirely. That's certainly a part of it. Um, yeah, that would probably that that theme probably would hit more. But again, I think that's Nolan not really seeing the problem. Yeah, yeah, it, it mean, becomes that question of like again. Uh, he, he notes well, his is, limits a little bit. Yeah. I, well, that's the thing. I think it's Nolan going like, look, I can't do any more than this. <laughs> this is where I leave it. 
And there are some people of color in the film. I mean, you have the orphan kids who are becoming basically Batman's army. Yeah. They're set up. It's not just Joseph Gordon-Levitt that's set up as the future. It's all these orphans that are set up as the future. Um, Although a little less explicitly. Um, So, I don't know. I think you might be right. But I also think part of it is that I think Michael B. Jordan would give a better performance. (laughs) To to bring it back Um, to the wire, as we have in these episodes. Oh, yeah. Fucking Bunny Colvin's in this film. <laughs> fucking Bunny is the he's the fucking soldier on the bridge. That's and he's like, look, man, you're taking the Hamsterdam thing a little too far. <laughs> and you watch. You see if it don't work out the way I say. Oh my god! And then um, uh, fucking Carsetti is the CIA dude. Yeah, 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 Carcetti. Yeah, and then more popularly, Littlefinger. I did warn you not to trust me. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, I don't know, that it made me laugh when I forgot Bunny Colvin was in it. Like, it's literally the Hamsterdam experiment again. <laughs> Except this time that Bane is deliberately fucking it up. Yeah. So, that would have been amazing, though, if Bane, like, didn't go far enough. And then, like, he cuts off all this shit. He's like, all right, let's watch Gotham tear itself apart. And then things just kind of work out. <laughs> And he's like, oh, shit, oh, <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I like Levitt, except he made a movie that was pretty terrible. Oh, no, what was it? Um, what was it, John Don or oh, something? Oh, Don John. I didn't see it. Don John. Um, it's uh, not, not great. Aww. It's a movie I was watching it, and anyone who's seen it, I think will understand these exact sentiments. Which I was, it's a movie about a guy who's addicted to porn, right? Yeah. And uh, you got about halfway through it, and I thought to myself, which I'm sure millions of Americans have thought, this movie would work if the Wolfman showed up. And then the Wolfman didn't show up. (laughs) I don't know how serious you are with that sentiment, because I haven't seen the movie. (laughs) I am 100% serious. (laughs) I literally had that thought. And everyone knows what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Am I going to have to watch it? No, they it? don't. No, oh, no. Okay, I'm going to watch it. You, but you got to understand, you got to understand, Diego, I want the Wolfman to show up in every film. <laughs> you understand, like, when I'm watching movies, like, this is my failing as a human being, because I'll watch a movie like Manchester by the Sea, which is just this really intimate human drama, and I'll be like, fuck, should be sea monsters in this. <laughs> and... That's just where my brain goes. I'm sorry, everyone. No, I totally get it. So I'm doing like a lot more um, just writing, right? Like like creative writing scripts and shit by myself now. And I'm slowly starting to realize I'm having trouble writing things that don't have monsters pop up in them. Yeah. Like all of them. <laughs> so. <laughs> but that's the thing. Don't make it a weakness. Make it a strength. <laughs> a woman Under the Influence. Brilliant film. But fuck. Have Martians show up. Who gives a shit? Did I already give my anecdote about the guest on this? Um, No, but you know what? I haven't seen the guest, so don't give it. Okay. Well, it's about what the so movie's not about. Uh, yeah, but I don't want... I've heard I shouldn't know things about the guest. I've been meaning to watch it. No, no. It's very specifically... It is nothing to do with what I, what I thought it was about. Okay. So, I was convinced, for whatever reason... All I saw was a picture of Micah Monroe and Dan Stevens holding a gun in the air. And so I was like, oh, 
I forgot how this got in my brain. Oh, that's the the movie where he goes into a small town and fights werewolves. <laughs> wow. And so I watched uh, the movie. And I kept waiting for werewolves to show up. I had another movie where that ha- something like that happened to me, but I can't remember what one it was. But I've had I've had that happen before. Oh, it was amazing. Uh-huh. So the first time I was like, yeah, it was pretty good, but I need to watch it again. <laughs> Where the fuck were the werewolves? <laughs> I was, I was uh, bamboozled. Whew. So yeah, that was my anecdote. Well, and that's the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> oh, thank God we didn't go as long as as the previous one. Although you know what, we didn't talk about Gordon. Well, here, let's go. Let's let's do. We'll, we'll lead out with it. Could- I, all I can say is that. Um, Gordon probably falls into one of my least favorite film tropes ever. Which is we need a character for the third act, but we don't know what to do with him through the second act. Mm. So we put him in the hospital. Yeah. And that would be my least favorite thing ever. Not Partly because I fucking hate movies where people go to the hospital and then like they come out and they can like fucking tap dance. <laughs> like, which you don't do. If you're in the hospital, you're not doing that when you get out. Although, to be fair, he's basically just, like, moving from place to place for a couple months and then finally gets back into the action. I know. So even on movie like, terms, they're like, yeah, he got fucked up. Yeah, yeah. It's it's movies. It doesn't matter. It just it sticks out to me. Because uh. when you're in the hospital <laughs> and you're laying in bed, you're not thinking... I should work out my bucket list. <laughs> what you're thinking is, someone please kill me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, um, but I, I... God damn, I wish I was addicted to morphine. <laughs> Uh, what I'm addicted to is uh, Michael Caine as Alfred. Oh yeah, we also didn't talk about him because he leaves the film. <laughs> he leaves the film like at the end of the first act too. He doesn't get a moment. Yeah, he as an hour. It it's the first act, but it's an hour into the fucking movie. And like I've been, I've been talking to other people recently, where I'm like, yeah, I kind of like lengthy first acts. You know, I wish more movies had them again. Mm-hmm. M- make sure they're a little tightened up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's I I also it's weird because it, I I say that too. Where I'm like, I like movies that have a slow first act that build to something and this movie certainly builds to something but it's like the usually the third act makes the first act interesting to revisit (laughs) and that's not what this does no 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 you know it's not fucking tinker taylor soldier spy oh god that's such a good movie yeah i know Um. this movie is longer than tinker taylor soldier (laughs) spy (laughs) and you feel it yeah Uh. oh god you do but yeah, Dark Dark Knight Rises, uh, flawed. Um, We're barely scratching the surface yeah. with this one, but um, but it, I, I still think it's it's a very beautiful movie. It's a flawed film that kind of admits it's a flawed film, and that's kind of the point. I mean, that's not. I know that's a little like, eh, like you know, but it's kind of like going the movie doesn't make sense because real life doesn't make sense, but. <laughs> Um, I do think that's kind of what the movie is going for. I mean, to be honest, I think the thing Nolan got about superheroes more than most people get 
is just how truly American the superhero genre is. <laughs> I think he really understood that better than most people. And so he leaned into it really heavy and he came on the other end going like, that's a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, even like the the Michael Bay-esque imagery of like the tattered American flags down Main Street and shit mm-hmm. like that, you know? Like, it's not, it's he's not longing for like, a specific status quo of America anymore. He's, he's it's like a a sad state of reality. You know, it's a, it's a matter of fact by this point, and not just because Bane's there. He's not coming down and being like, like I said, these movies don't go. Batman is good. <laughs> he just says Batman is a thing, and this is why he exists. And that's more interesting, to be honest. And he and the reason Batman exists are inherently American. And he knows that, and he, he just leans into it really heavy. So, uh, again, I think that because we also live in a country where people aren't that media literate, and I would probably include myself in that, I mean, I don't know, I think these these movies, they honestly, revisiting them, I thought revisiting them because I have ingested a lot more politics in the years since these came out, um... I mean, 2012 Matt was a very libertarian Matt, I'll just say. Um, Very different kid. Uh, And so I thought coming to this now with different politics, I would end up hating these films, but I ended up liking them more. And I I, I don't know. I found it very interesting. Um, And I'm glad I watched them again. Uh, And I recommend other people watch them, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was super worried at the start of this retrospective that I was going to kind of like be coming in here like hating on these films and going to be like cuz I I I tried to read up on these as much as I could. Like I wanted to get other perspectives and so many I I guess I should explicitly say so many people on Letterboxd <laughs> their reviews are so much about how smart they think they are. And how, like, oh, did you know that this is actually fascist? And, I like, I wanted to get all those t- points of view, and I kind of came out of it going, like, I think the film knows what it's doing. <laughs> Which is what I didn't expect to walk away from this saying. It honestly makes me want to revisit Interstellar. Because <laughs> that's, like, the one Nolan film that, like, I, I didn't like at all. I have a point about that before we wrap up. Because um, when I was... When I was watching Dark Knight Rises again for the first time in a long time, I was writing down notes about how comparatively both this and Interstellar are about the failure of human institutions and even American institutions to a certain extent in Interstellar and how they've created like these these vacuums that people need to escape from, essentially. We need to find a way to survive and struggle through them. And Interstellar ends on a note that's sour for me, but I enjoyed the ride up to that, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, seek to dismantle any of the problems that that caused them to have to leave Earth. It just has them leave Earth. Uh, and I, I was worried the Dark Knight trilogy was going to go that way, too. And I I'm happy to say that I think I was wrong, especially after this conversation, too. Um, yeah, where the movie understands, Nolan understands that these things are are not black and white. Uh, uh, nothing is perfect, and nobody is perfect. 
but the, it's aware of like these political and capitalist institutions and like how they break people down um, and it they have trouble toppling them and it might seem hopeless. But until the closing moments of the Dark Knight, it kind of was or a Dark Knight Rises, it, it kind of was. Uh, and it's a reminder that while Batman is also not inherently a good thing in this, in that world that he's created, it has become a necessity and even maybe a positive outlet for the next generation. Not this one. This one didn't, didn't get it right, but maybe the next one could do better. And I mean, it's very explicitly Batman's a symbol, you know, mm -hmm. and Batman is, I mean, Batman is a symbol in that universe, and he's a symbol in our, our universe. He just ha happens to be fictional. Yeah. And this movie just kind of goes like, look, yeah, he's a symbol, but we got to do more than that. I mean, it can't just be Batman. And that's what I find very interesting. I don't know. I came out of this, I guess what I want to say, I came out of this feeling a lot better about Christopher Nolan. And because I, I guess I just let the internet get to me, because the internet fucking hates Christopher Nolan. <laughs> And there's a they hate him partly because he has worshippers, which will make you hate any director, you know? Yeah. And, like, because there's so many people who... It's, it's also a film Twitter thing, I guess I should say, where it's like, if you're a real... I don't want to... I'm, I'm going to sound like a bit of a douche, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> when you are a real connoisseur of films, when you really like going out and watching as many films as possible from as many different places, from as many different perspectives, it can be frustrating when someone goes, nah, man, this director is the best and he's the greatest and he says everything and he's a genius. Because you're like, well, no. Because <laughs> there's no one director who can do that, right? Right. But there's also, most people just don't have time to watch the amount of movies that we watch. Yeah. So it's it, it's not shocking that they end up lining up behind someone like Nolan. Um, so I, I, I guess I said I walked away from this. I will say this whole retrospective, I've walked away from Tim Burton feeling a little better, um, which is shocking. Um, I walked away from Christopher Nolan feeling a lot better. I think he's he's definitely, he's the real deal. And that he's he's saying something that is worth his movies are worth something. They aren't just this nonsense, you know. They they and aren't playing not, real just for the sake of like authenticity. They aren't just the zeitgeist. Yeah. He's not just tapping in. He's not. I just to say the MCU. Um, but that being said. He definitely needs to get better at writing women because they are just props in all of his goddamn movies. Yeah, I think that's why like, Dunkirk that's like might be my like the best one of his. Like th that might be like a an unfair statement, but I think because he doesn't have to worry about yeah, writing women, he, it's better for him to have no women. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's better than to have him just have prop women, which is what they all are. <laughs> I mean, we barely talked about Catwoman because she is just a plot device. Yeah, I, I will say I thought Anne Hathaway is pretty good. Um, I, I, pretty I like good. Anne Hathaway a lot. Uh, she's really um, good in Interstellar, but again... She, she gets a lot of awkward dialogue in this, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, she's about on par with Joseph Gordon-Levin. <laughs> in my book. But hey, whatever, they're not awful. Um, but again, it's just... I think Nolan is really, he's better than I gave him credit for, but he's also just as bad as everyone says when it comes to women. Yeah. 
And I will say that also, like, he allowed the public to kind of get to him on this film where, you know, because I think people were ready to hate The Dark Knight Rises because it was like he had a big hit with Dark Knight and, and Inception were both kind of like instant classics in a way. And so we were in the middle of a backlash against Nolan. And he explicitly avoided giving this film an ambiguous ending because Inception had an ambiguous ending. <laughs> And I don't know. Um, fuck you, everyone who judges me for liking Nolan now. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. Fuck. Yeah, he says everything. He's, he's very explicit in his themes and meaning. But you know what? Who gives a shit? It's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, team Team Nolan. Sorry. Uh, this is. I'm so, also I'm he's sorry. so explicit. It's shocking. You st- still can't pick up on what he's probably saying. Oh yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So I think everyone, just be honest with yourselves. You don't like him. You don't like him. If you like him, that's cool. But don't try to outsmart people for, on both sides of that. Don't don't try to outsmart yeah. the other person. Just look at what the films are saying. You know, because I mm-hmm. there's these are special. And also reminded me that superhero movies can can be good in a point where I'm already kind of pulling my hair out, uh, looking forward at the the rest of the year. But that I, I'm really happy to have revisited these, uh, and we have two more to go, two more Batman movies to go. Um, but these this stretch right here, these three, I'm uh, I honestly don't know if I could be happier with the way they turned yeah. out. I'm glad we I'm glad we did this. Yeah, this all made it worth it. Um, but now, but now, <laughs> we wanted a mission, and for our sins, we were given one. Um, I, I just want to say now at the end of this, because I, I gotta just, I gotta give a little bit of a prologue to what the next retrospective episode will be, uh, because... Every one of these films, like I said, I sat down to rewatch all of them with my guard up. Like, I, I went into them like I didn't want to go easy on them. And I watched the first half of all of them being like, oh, no. And then at some point it all clicked. And it made sense and it worked. And I suddenly went, okay, I get it. Which gives me hope that something similar will happen in the next film. Because I've been conditioned to hate the next film. (laughs) Because I have tried to watch it, and I cannot sit through it. I have not been able to sit through Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I have never made it. I've seen most of it, but I've never watched it in one continuous sitting. Or watched it in chronological order. (laughs) Um, So... I guess what I want to say is I'm going to go, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to try to go in and be like to dump out my preconceived notions about the film because what I learned with these is that going in with your guard up actually makes you enjoy them more (laughs) because then you're really challenging yourself to like them and then you end up going like, okay, yeah, they do, they do say something because I could have just come out of this episode being like, doesn't make sense, but it was cool when Batman fought Bane. You know, which is maybe something I would have said like two years ago. Um, so I'm going to go in with my guard up and I'm going to try and watch it. But I'm going to say this. I will give Batman v Superman three chances. 
I if I if I can't watch it in three sittings, I'm gonna give up on it. Because I can't. I don't know what it is about the next movie, but something in my body physically rejects the film. <laughs> I'm not not even like in a like this is a bad movie. It's just like I can't look at it. <laughs> And I don't know what is. And the only other time that's ever happened to me was during that fucking Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie, where I was like watching it and I just had to leave. I couldn't do it anymore. Well, yeah, that's Tim Burton and, Alice in Wonderland, of course. Yeah, but like, but that's the only other time this has happened to me, where my body like rejected the film. Or although you know what, Enter the Void kind of did that too. Oh, not a not a Gaspar Noé fan. No, I'm not. Me neither. I, oh my god! Hey, everyone who told everyone in college who told me to watch Irreversible, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just I got I got to set that up because um, you know I want to let everyone know that I have all the cards stacked against Batman v Superman. So if it if it if it wins me over, it'll be a triumph. <laughs> If it doesn't, that's probably on me. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. But um, I'm very uh, trepidatious about the next entry. But it would be it would be really cool if I walked away loving it. That would be amazing. Uh, which would version be really cool. will you be watching? Um, well, I'm only going to be able to watch one, so I'm, I'm going to let you choose. Okay, I will say you should watch. The ultimate edition. It's longer, okay, and so that might be harder, but it does clean up the pace a bit. That's what I've heard. So I'm, I kind of want to go into it knowing everything that was intended. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'll, I will. I will do the. I will try to make it through the ultimate cut. Okay. But I gotta. I guess what I will say is I will watch it if after 20 minutes I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I tap out, and then I got to try again later. Okay. And but if I can't do the whole thing in three sittings, I will not finish the film. <laughs> Remember where you parked? No, Macaringo, thank you for joining me. Uh, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com and YouTube, which something is coming for that. And, and uh, I have a Patreon. If you want to give me a dollar, I don't know. I have nothing to offer. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter.com slash the Diego Crespo. Uh, check out other stuff we got going on in the Waffle Press. Uh, Endgame probably coming out the week of this release or the week before, so we'll have a thing up for that. Um, Check out other other stuff. Check out Matt's stuff. Links down below. Check out our Patreon too so we can get better equipment. And I'd like to do this on a more regular basis. That would be a lot of fun. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Is that another doorbell ringing? Oh, Jesus. All right, hang on. Let me get you up. Know, there's a, a three-hour time difference between us. It's it's very odd that the mail arrives at the exact same time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't keep buying new doors.
Alright. Open this up. It's a little box. Huh. Mine's a little box too. Mine's already open though. That's weird. There's a lot of little like, confetti. Yeah, same. Okay. What's the... Huh. It's like... What? Some kind of trigger. Oh my god. It's it's just like those triggers on the boat in Dark Knight, Matt. Matt, the the boats with with the bombs, and and if one of us clicks the other trigger, then we detonate. Or if we don't click the trigger, then we both detonate. So we're gonna have to have a sign of good faith and not click either of the triggers. So if there is a Batman, click. watch. Will the Batman retrospective continue? Will Diego actually release the episode on time? Tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel.